Oh, Bretto. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah. He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tons of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So, look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You've been forced. Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment. What do you mean, MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, Bretto. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now, all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague and then choose your forage selection, four muesli or four assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed. These 100 tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Damo. You're listening to Melissa Gearing, the naked naturopath. Mel is a qualified naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist. She can't wait to share her thoughts on all things health and wellness with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Naturopath. Thanks for being here with us. Today, we're talking breastfeeding with a client and friend who I've invited along. Uh, Michelle is a representative of the Australian Breastfeeding Association, and she's here to chat booby milk with us here today. I am. Thanks for having me, Mel. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in and giving me some of your time and, you know, um, the listeners as well. I really appreciate it's always in our own time that we do podcasts, so I really appreciate you, you doing that. Michelle's come straight from yoga, so she's a bit um, blissed out. I That's am now, but thank you for the mint tea. I'm feeling a bit more revived We've got now. mint essential oil and peppermint tea with licorice in it, so we're waking up. Um, so you volunteer for the ABA. How long have you done that? I was thinking about that last night. I've been involved with the ABA at some level since my eldest daughter was born. So uh, she's 14 now. I actually started thinking about volunteering though just after the birth of Heidi. So she's eight. No, she's not. She's nine, nearly 10. <laughs> so it's been a while. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. I'm really interested in your motivation for doing it because you actually told me, um, you know, over the time that I've known you that you volunteer for a number of different things. Mm. And I think that that's amazing that, mm. you know, you, you do that with your time. But why the ABA and, you know, how did you kind of get involved and, you know, that kind of stuff? Could yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I, I think in some respects my story is quite common with other uh, volunteers that I've spoken to from the ABA. Uh, when I 
had Emma, we moved out to Mount Isa in Queensland. Uh, I was very isolated out there and I started having some issues with breastfeeding around anxiety and not being able to get a letdown, um, which is like that tingly sensation that you need to, like turning on the tap to actually um, make milk and feed your baby. So at that time, uh, Emma was about 10 months old, so I was very stressed about that. And my ha- my husband rang the breastfeeding helpline for me and had a chat to a counsellor and uh, I spoke to her and it was like a lifeline. There was yeah. no one out there I could really speak to. Uh, and from that time on, I just realised that women need support with breastfeeding uh, wherever they're at in their journey, whether it's in the beginning or the middle like mine or um, even if it's weaning at the end. I feel like I will need support to take Kelly off the boot. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I have lots of worries at start and I feel much more comfortable with it now yes. that I'm in the middle, but the yeah. end really I think about it and mm. it freaks me out. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And so uh, I really wanted to be in a position to support other women and understand where they were at in their breastfeeding journey. So that was probably the other thing I, I found uh, chatting to other women and my friends that their breastfeeding journey was not the same as mine. Um, they had uh, different ideas. They had different information. Breastfeeding looked different for them. Mm. Um, whether they um, were choosing to not breastfeed as long or uh, whether they had a, a preemie baby and things looked different, whether um, they uh, felt they had issues with attachment. And I wanted to be able to help mums in a, a way that I was there with them in the moment of their journey without putting my baggage or my thoughts onto onto mums. Yeah, cool. So that was important to me. That's so great. And mm. you volunteer for that line now that you called when you were... I do, yeah. I haven't it? been on it for a while, but, um, yeah, generally I, I will, yeah. yeah. So my role is I've trained as a breastfeeding counsellor. So ABA provided that counts, uh, that training for me. They do, uh, yeah, counselling training, with, which is a certificate for, and also breastfeeding education. Yeah, great. So, yeah, yeah, so that's enabled me to help mums. Yeah, so yeah, they're kind of helping you all the tools and techniques to assist and uh, deal with common queries and questions yeah. and issues. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. And also to be evidence-based. I think that's something that yeah, Australian definitely. Breastfeeding Association do really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the same with herbal medicine. You know, lots of people think, I guess, that we kind of just make this stuff up. But (laughs) having the evidence to back up your advice makes a big difference in terms of um, your credibility and the people's confidence in your advice as well, definitely. absolutely. Um, So you've brought along some cool stuff. (laughs) ABA has loads of resources, right? It does. Even when I, before I had Kelly, you Mm. kindly brought me in some stuff that I read through and I just found it so, so helpful. Um, and I did want to just touch on, before I forget, go back to that tingling sensation mm. because I used to get that and I used to think that it was um, a problem, you know, okay. like something was yeah. wrong. Plus with that, I got this sick, sick feeling in my gut and I ah. still get that when she has yeah. a big feed. Yeah. And, um, you know, I read, I don't know if it was on the website or in one of those handouts mm. you gave me that that was really normal. And so just even having that to refer to mm. was fantastic. Um, that sick feeling, is that a common thing that you come across? Uh, probably not so much yeah, the sick right. feeling, but uh, the letdown that uh, women get can be 
um, different. So some women won't feel anything at all. Yeah. Some women may just notice that while their baby's at the breast that milk is leaking out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, some women may feel almost like a type of pain or tightening of their breast. And obviously in your case, you know, you had that sick, yeah, that yeah. sick feeling. But, um, yeah, women, women will feel it in different ways. Mm-hmm. The important thing is uh, that you have it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Very important part of, of, of breastfeeding is to, to have that. Um, and sometimes when mums are in stressful situations um, or feeling anxious mm-hmm. um, or worried, like if they're not getting enough breast milk for their babies, uh, that letdown reflex can be inhibited yeah. or if you have to pump. Uh, so if you're returning to work or you've got a, a baby who's uh, preming and you need to be pumping, um, that stress can sometimes inhibit it. So we really like to chat with mums and make sure they know uh, what it may feel like, uh, that it is normal and that's an important part of being able to make milk yeah. for their baby. So good. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, mentioning pumping, I I found that if I put Kelly on one move, I could pump on the other, mm-hmm. you know, and if I didn't have her, the stimulation just wasn't the same yes. from the pump. It was really difficult to get yeah. milk out unless I saved up a boob for half a day. Yes. And then, you know, it was brimming. <laughs> I could do it. Yeah. Um, but some of the best advice that I got was just a friend. I said, you know, I'm having trouble. I sit down to feed Kelly. She's screaming, crying, you know, mm. for whatever reason, um, especially because I went back to work so early. Mm. So I'd get home and she'd be desperate for me. Mm. And I was so tightly wound that I didn't mm. get the milk, uh, like what you mentioned yeah. you were going through as well. Yeah. So she said, just take three big breaths Mm. before you sit down to feed her, like hold her, give Mm. her a cuddle, take three big breaths and just relax and let the milk come. Mm. And it was so, so helpful and I still do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just found that just such a simple, yeah, simple advice. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, Sometimes that can be a tricky thing to say to mums to relax. Yeah. But, yeah. But in definitely. fact, uh, somehow that is what you well, need you to do. Be reminded. Yeah. As and, well. and also reminded uh, that even if your letdown reflex is slow uh, for one feed, it doesn't mean that it's going to be slow for the mm-hmm. other ones. And I found that incredibly helpful going into my second and third pregnancies yeah. and having babies to know it's all right if I'm stressed, if I'm sick. So when you're sick, sometimes you're let down, mm-hmm. you can be affected. It's all right. Just let that let that go and know that it can write itself the next time. Yeah, and yeah. something that I've written blogs on, you know, as well is um, sickness, yes, mm. food, nutrition, mm. water, hydration. Mm. Those things are so important in producing milk. Mm. I've got a friend who is a, a colleague who um, really specialises and takes a huge interest in, you know, fertility mm. and care throughout the pregnancy, mm. postnatal care and breastfeeding in particular. And um, she has very strict diet mm. guidelines on what nutrients you actually need to produce this, you know, fantastic milk. Mm. Um, so even though our bodies will do it under great stress and without nutrition, it makes it a hell of a lot yeah. easier if they have all those tools. That's that's right. And I guess what we know as far as producing breast milk goes, like you said, you can do it whether you're in a stressful situation, you know, women in third world countries um, are able to successfully breastfeed their babies um, is that the macronutrients will stay fairly stable. So your protein, carbohydrates and your fats, Mm -hmm. Um, but there are some um, micronutrients within those three categories that, yeah, your diet can affect. But basically those um, percentages of nutrients will be fairly stable. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I crave 
crave carbs, mm. like carbs. Like I've mm. never, you know, last time we went to Japan, I got sick of the rice and I didn't have rice for about six months when we got back. Yeah. This time I ate all the rice inside and I came back to cooking rice and eating, you know, mm. loads of rice again and mm. any other carbohydrate I can get my hand yeah. on. So I find I need a lot more sugars, I guess, than mm. I used to to yeah. Yeah, make that milk. Um, yes. I love I love these little balls you brought in. Um, can you tell me about them? I can tell you about yeah. I can tell you about these balls. Um, here's some little rustling balls here on the counter. Uh, so uh, when we're maybe doing a breastfeeding education class, so um, helping mums and their partners learn about breastfeeding before they have their baby, or if we go to schools. Um, and talk about breastfeeding, I often bring these balls with me because they're a visual representation of a baby's tummy um, at various um, ages. Yeah, cool. So, so it's like a small marble, a, a marble, medium A shooter marble, apparently. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. yeah. Yes. So. Um, and a golf ball. That's and a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mel. Yes, important things. So uh, when your baby is born um, on day one, their, their tummy is the size of a marble. And it can only uh, take about five mils of milk. Wow. So when you think that at that stage your body is, uh, is producing colostrum mm-hmm. and has from about 16 weeks um, and only very small amounts of colostrum are produced, uh, sort of in those first two to three days, um, it makes sense that a baby's tummy would only be the size of a marble. Yeah. Um, the, the aim of colostrum is not so much nutrition but it's actually about um the baby's gut and their gut health and giving them um protective factors Mm. actually building that up um from things like um breast milk uh, so not breast milk from colostrum and also the time they spend with um their mums on their on their on their um skin to skin time as well so when Callie was first born, she did this enormous hibernation sleep. Yes. And I got her up. I remember it was like 2 a.m. It was, you know, the we'd stayed one night in the hospital, gone home. It was 2 a.m. the next morning after going home. And I'm trying to wake her up to feed her because mm-hmm. I was so stressed that she <laughs> would be hungry, you know. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to, like, put her on the boob and kind of I'm putting her in her face and rubbing the nipple. And she was she was dead to the world. She was not waking up for mm. a feed. And this is obviously going to play a huge part in that. Mm. She doesn't need food straight away because um, no. obviously her tummy is so small. Yeah, yeah. And I think that can be really helpful visual. Definitely. When you go, my baby's hungry or they're on the breast all the the time, like in the first two to three days, mums will often say, I'm not making enough milk. And yeah. In fact, your milk hasn't come in yet. Yeah. It's that supply and demand is starting the baby is on the breast all the time to actually start you um, yeah, on great. that road to producing breast milk. Yeah. 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 Cool. So there you go. That's day one. Love it's it. your marble. So day three is the shooter marble. So it takes in around 25 mils of milk. Mm-hmm. So day three to five will be that time when your milk does start so to we're come in. About five teaspoons worth of milk. Yeah. 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 Five mils. Yeah. Yeah. About five. Yeah. Five teaspoons. Yeah, yeah. So not a lot. Um, and the milk at that time is uh, transitional. So it's still got. Um, a lot of the factors of colostrum in yeah. it, and yeah. it's and the milk isn't fully matured because yeah. it was uh, a different colour. Yes, yeah, that start in that starting 
time. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's really um, like a thick yellow yeah. and you would only expect to get a very small amount. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there'll be a change. So it'll still be more that, that yellow colour. But moving to um, mature milk, um, then you're looking more at that bluish kind of creamy bluish mm. colour. And yeah. so the baby gets older. Yeah, so, that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah. So 25 mils, so not not heaps by day three. No. And the tummy, like, is small. Yeah. It's tiny. Yeah. So it's, it's a, like, I would say it's a small to medium-sized marble, like a bit, yeah. bit bigger than your normal marble, but still pretty small. Yeah. If, if you're a marble fanatic, you'll yeah. know what a shooter marble is. And if you don't, <laughs> then Mel's description will be probably more helpful. Or you can maybe Google it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what about this golf ball? Golf ball. Uh, so that's uh, day 10. And then um, a baby's tummy will hold around 45 to 60 mils. Wow. Milk. It's yeah. amazing the speed of growth, I yes. think. It's such yes. a small little bubba. That's right. Yeah. So milk will be fully in? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, what, what happens in the early days once your milk does start coming in is um, your body doesn't actually know how many babies you've had. So it doesn't know whether you've had twins or triplets. Yeah. So um, it will produce more than what you need. Definitely. Which is why women always go, I have all this milk yeah. squirting everywhere. Um, and as you let your baby um, feed according to need, mm-hmm. um, then that supply in time will settle. Yeah. Um, the rate at which it settles is different for women. I was a late settler, so my supply didn't settle to about eight months, wow. which is very unusual. Yeah. But from talking to other women in my family, I know there's a bit of a history okay. of that. Yeah, um, but most most women probably buy you know the six six to twelve weeks yeah. looking at your milk yeah. supply. Settling. I thought for all that time that I would just be so uncomfortable for my mm. whole, you know. Aim, I aim to feed. I mean, in my head, I want to mm. feed for two years. Mm. Um, but she's starting to bite and make a fuss, so we'll see. Um, yep. But <laughs> I thought, how can I be this uncomfortable in my breast yes. for the next two years? Yeah. And then I had no idea that, I guess, that uh, the amount that it would settle. Mm. But then, you know, you swing to the other extreme and think, why are my boobs, you know, full and hard and, yes. and hurting? I mustn't have enough milk. Yeah. I'm super stressed. So, yeah. you know, it's this uh, cyclic, horrible cyclic, you know, yeah. worry. It's it's almost like it's like a almost like a machine starting up in your body. Like, you know, you, you've got extra fluid going into there. Um, it's just going into making milk um, capacity. Um, that there needs to be like activity yeah. <laughs> kind of in, in your breasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it becomes like this well-oiled machine that works. That's right. Quite, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, the the softness that happens, um, women will often find that maybe around the four-month mark that mm-hmm. their breasts will soften and yeah. they're, they're just in that, that well-oiled machine mode like of knowing. Pancakes again. Yeah, so there's no. Yeah. You know, I, was in, I didn't even get much time to enjoy the nice cleavage and all <laughs> <laughs> that stuff. So oh. I'm often I can't remember what breasts I fed on last because they both yes. feel the same all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's interesting, mm. and that's probably getting they're getting flatter and flatter mm. as she eats more food now. So Kelly yeah. is um, nine and a half months now. Yeah. So yeah. I often think. If I go to work too long, I might not have enough milk for the mm, day and all those yeah. kind of things. Um, 
so juggling, I guess, new challenges as yeah, she gets older. That's right. And I think the the wonderful thing um, about breastfeeding as babies get older is uh, the time that you spend in those early days uh, exclusively breastfeeding, offering your baby the breast um, according to need or demand feeding, depending. Um, demand feeding is more a term if your baby is full and healthy and, yeah. you know, it's no problems demanding that you're feeding them, yeah. you know, every two to three hours. Um, feeding according to need, probably more like if you have a baby with jaundice or they're yeah. a bit sleepy, okay. you need to be waking them so that's the difference with those two terms but uh, if you're doing it 24 7 um you bring in your milk supply and then your breasts settle down your your breasts will be able to uh make more milk say after you get sick Mm -hmm. it'll just it'll pick it up again it'll know what that baseline is you're actually setting the baseline for how much milk your baby needs so um so if you have times yeah where you may as your baby's older and you're back to work Mm -hmm. like a nine month old if you need to make more milk, you just put the baby to the breast more and yeah. if there has it's been a drop, it will just stimulate yeah, it again yeah. and your your body will be more than able to handle trust, that. Trust in nature's beautiful ability yeah. that, I mean, that it has given us. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, we're stress heads, so, <laughs> you know, worry, a new mum, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. You know, about it. Um, now, you guys give advice on like maternity bras, you know, I went on your website last night just to have a squeeze at a few different things and I'm reading about antenatal colostrum and epidurals mm. and breastfeeding, all these um, external worries, not just about yes. sitting at home breastfeeding. Yes. Um, but what what's I'm kind of interested in kind of three most common questions, I guess, and we've yeah. talked a little bit about supply and demand and stuff mm. and what answers the ABA helps people give um, you know gives to help people um that's something that really interests me Mm. because i like to know what other people are experiencing yes yeah Yeah. so what what kind what do you kind of get asked most of all uh the the probably the most common question that i will get is uh is my baby getting enough milk yeah so that is um a very common one particularly if Mums have a, uh, a baby that is uh crying and Mm -hmm. and fussy Mm -hmm. um and we know that a lot of those that are cry fuss problems they they are common in babies under uh 16 weeks uh babies will cry you know and that that crying will continue around the six to eight week mark before it starts um to taper off um and so mums can be concerned that all these behaviors actually mean that their baby's not getting possibly hungry yeah Yeah, and i mean as a mum that's your biggest fear is that yeah this little baby is sitting there starving yeah. you know and you can't uh like i guess you could say you, you can't see how much your baby is getting but in fact you can if you know what you're looking for okay so uh what you want to look for is how many wet nappies so yes. just like um as an adult you know how much water you're drinking or not drinking yeah. <laughs> uh, by the color of your wee <laughs> or how much urine your output is, babies are exactly the same. Yeah. So you want to have uh, probably at least uh, five to six wet nappies. If they're disposable nappies, you want the urine to be clear and not smelly, mm-hmm. um, and that's over a 24-hour period. Okay. Um, if you're doing cloth, then maybe more like six to eight. Yeah. Um, and then you can, you know, often chat to a mum about general trends as well, like what's their weight gain been like, um, 
with their length and their head circumference as well as their, their weight. Is that all, all tracking okay? Um, it doesn't really matter where on the chart they're tracking yeah. um, as long as they're tracking, you know, and not like upward falling. Yeah. 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 Or, or tracking along, along I suppose. They don't okay. certainly to jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just that they're, they're tracking and then not falling off. Um, and then also just that they're having some moments of being content during the day. Yeah. And that doesn't have to, that doesn't have to look like an eight-hour sleep. That would just be, you know, that would be very unusual. Um, but I think um, just, just a small amount of time, you know, an hour here or an hour there, um, you know, a, a, a baby being content is just a sign that they're getting is another sign they're getting enough milk as well. So they're probably the main points that I would talk to with a mum. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then possibly any particularly particular concerns that she might have had about weight gain. Mm-hmm. So um, like the types of um, charts that they're using. So yeah. we recommend the World Health Organisation charts. Okay. Because they're um, only uh, done for the, gra- the graphs, only done from babies that are breastfed. Um, yeah, okay. So some... You just have to check in the, the books you get, I guess, with um, when you have your baby, whether they've got the who charts in them or not. As opposed to uh, what, what, are the, what are the charts that the doctors use? Um, that's a good question. When okay. I was, when I was, that's <laughs> um, no, okay. When I had Emma, they were um, from formula fed and breastfed. <laughs> um, and because we know that formula fed babies grow at different rates, yeah. it is not really an indication of um of an exclusively breastfed baby's uh, growth. So we've had baby Callie join us, and I have um, just spotted some things. Yeah, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that, guys. Um, so we're looking. We're talking about. I guess we've talked about the supply. We've talked about the growth and worrying about Bubba Girl, Bubba Boy being hungry, making sure they've got enough food. Um, is there any other common questions that you get? Yeah, another common question is around introducing solids yes. and uh, when they should be introduced and what that should look like. Um, so Australian Breastfeeding Association follow the same guidelines that all the hospitals uh, do uh, around around Australia, which is to introduce them at around six months. Mm-hmm. Um and to really just be looking at the signs of readiness yes. in your in your baby. So, um, you know, are they uh, sitting up, like not necessarily by themselves, but they've got enough control to hold themselves, say, in a hold high chair. Hold their head up. Hold their head yeah. up, yeah. That their tongue thrust is not so prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the, the tongue thrust is necessary for breastfeeding, but it just actually pushes all the food out, yeah. out of the mouth. <laughs> and and that they're showing an interest. They might, yes. you know, be grabbing um, food off your plate or yeah. wanting to 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 get bits of food that maybe yeah. you're not wanting them to. Well, Callie started really grabbing things off my plate at around four months. And yeah. I was so worried that, you know, she was eating it mm. too early. But I'm sitting across the table from her girlfriend who had her baby around the same time. Mm. And Callie's picking up scrambled egg and toast and avocado on yeah. my plate and she was just shoveling it in and she yeah. was actually eating it. And she was around four and a half months in and my friend was just like, you shouldn't let her eat that, it's way too early. Yeah. You know, all these pressures that we get um, because her bubble wasn't showing any interest in, interest in it. Yeah. And that's okay. She has a huge interest in food. Like last night she had lamb cutlets 
for dinner. Um, so she just has this love of food. Yeah, and she doesn't look like she's fading away. No, she's, she's a chubba bubba. Yeah. Um, but she's, she's had a really interesting food and I I had so much worry yeah. about doing it early, but now I, I don't regret it. Yeah. Um, and she still breastfeeds really good. Mm. So I've, ha- I've been very lucky uh, yeah. to have her be like that. And it's okay if they're not interested for a little while longer, right? You've got that milk coming in. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you might introduce solids around six months. Uh, they say by seven months you really do want to have introduced something mm-hmm. and uh, particularly things that um, like babies can, can chew on. <laughs> Sorry. So particularly things that babies will, will chew on, yeah. um, you really want to get their, their jaw and their tongue development yeah, going. Um, and Kelly's found the golf ball. <laughs> the golf ball. God, no, she's very excited about us. I'm sorry. But if you're in your car. <laughs> Bit of background noise. Yeah. I'll talk louder. <laughs> this is what she did all through Japan. When we were yeah. And you do Japanese. Japanese people are so reserved. It was so, so loud. that's okay so i guess one of the uh things that we talk about with introducing uh solids are options for mums so whether they're going to do baby led uh solids or whether they're going to do like parent led solids um often parents will choose a bit of both yeah um so baby led is i guess um looking at more whole whole foods Mm -hmm. uh so it might be like um steamed carrot sticks or um like an actual yeah that are steamed um or meat as well like a big piece of um meat that is well cooked that they can chew on well yeah if if you're if you're doing uh parent lead then i guess you'd be pureeing it down or just a piece i guess that you know your baby can chew on and hopefully not choke on uh, choke on (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, I mean it's the a fine line, isn't it? It is. It is a fine line. Um, a friend of mine, I think, had some really good advice around with baby led solids, and from that seven month mark of actually introducing things that they're biting and chewing on, she said, um, just make sure that you can see your baby yeah. or someone can see your baby when they're eating those yeah. foods. I don't really ever leave Callie alone. Yeah, I, even now, I'm, I'm tender mm. with her, and I found. Yeah. One of the, I guess, a really important thing for Sam and I was to always eat with her yeah. and make her part of our meal times, mm, which yeah. I guess may have translated into her being very interested in food because yeah, that's, that's what we do together. That's right, and that's a really um, important way that babies will see the importance of food and want to try new foods yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, and, and probably the other thing we talk to mums about is, is a little bit around the ratio of breast milk to um, food yeah. as well. Yeah. So you you know, often food is about play, it's about exploration, mm-hmm. um, and breast milk will still make up the majority of their diet. You know, to maybe around that 10, 11-month mark, you start to see the, the change in, okay. in dynamics um, and that uh, mums can offer breast milk before they offer food. Yeah. Yeah, so that they know that their baby is still getting the breast milk they mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a baby's gut is uh, pretty much fully developed by the uh, time they're nine months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, good So, um, And breast milk is obviously a really important part of that yeah, development. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. The development of that whole yeah. system in the gut. That's right. So, um, yeah, so they're probably the, the points that um, are helpful for mums to know. Yeah. I tried. I tried. 
you know, when I decided, um, well, you know, when I started looking at what to feed Callie when she mm. was ready for it, I got this book and it was baby led weaning. Mm. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and I was really mm. hardcore on avoiding, I guess, pureed food and mm. allowing her to recognize food and stuff like that. Mm. But it was so difficult because it was so, I just needed mm. to get her to have some food. And it yeah, was so difficult sometimes, it. you know, with her holding things. And, <laughs> and she can just play with them and stuff like that. But I I got to a place where I would kind of give her a bit of puree and then yeah. have some things on her table for her to play yeah. with so that she got some food plus had, you know, some textures yeah. and, and some ability to, I guess, explore the food. Mm. Uh, yeah, and some days she'll have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm. And then other days, especially when she's getting a tooth, she'll mm. just want milk. Yeah. And she might play with a bit of egg or porridge in the morning, yeah. but she's not as interested. And that's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's good, <laughs> it's good to know. Um, so you guys have a breastfeeding helpline, which you yes. mentioned. Why Why would somebody call? Ah, uh, lots of reasons. Everything and anything. Yeah. I, I think um, – what we want to offer mums is support with where they're at on their breastfeeding journey. Um, often mums need might need reassurance that uh, what they're experiencing falls within the realm of normal. And calling you guys is so much better for reassurance than Dr. Google. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, we are evidence-based. Dr. Um, Google, it's worse. It scares it, it can scare. It can, yeah. it can scare people. Sometimes um, it was reassuring. Yeah. But most of the time I thought, oh, God, she's going to die. Yeah. I've got to get her to hospital. And she's still alive. Yeah. And I would call my mum <laughs> and I would call my mother-in-law and I'd say, this is what's mm. happening. And they'd go, it's really normal. Yeah. But hearing it from somebody who's trained, I guess, yes. and is dealing with it day to day is, yeah, the most yeah. reassuring. Yeah, I think so. And it, it's an opportunity to just uh, talk with someone about where you are at in a non-judgmental way yeah um and uh, you know often mums uh may be quite upset when they call as well yeah and they really just need someone to be able to listen to them and to get those feelings out and to know that it's okay it's it's okay if your breastfeeding journey has gone a little bit pear-shaped for a while um i think it's something i've learned from breastfeeding three babies and spending a lot of time talking to mums is that everyone's journey is different and very unique um, and it's really important to be able to um, meet mums where they're at. Yes. Um, and I, I think that's something as women that we can do and we do do really well is support one another. Yes. Um, no matter where they're at. I'm talking to a friend at the moment about a new podcast that we're looking at and we really want to make it around, it's, you know, that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Because I think lots of us don't and mm. we need to. Um, because that support is right there. Yeah, it's right in your best friend. It's in your mom. It's it's in mm. whoever's around you. It's yeah. in your work colleagues. Um, like women are great at supporting each other. We just mm. kind of don't know sometimes yes. if nobody yeah. puts that hand out. Yeah, and I guess if you don't want to tell people what you're going through, and if it is stressful to leave the house, the mm. phone is right there. So, you know, that's this right. ABA helpline is such a mm. good option. That's a good option. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oops. And the number is one eight hundred six eight six two six eight. And do you guys have a website? Well, I know you have a website. Yes. What is it? Breastfeeding.asn.au. Easy. They we have hundreds, or maybe thousands of articles on every breastfeeding concern or challenge you could think about. Yeah. You put it into the search engine, and an article will come up. Cool. So. 
we'll put those resources in the footnotes of this podcast yes. as well. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, you're most welcome. Really, really, really no, appreciate really it. And I think this podcast is going to be really helpful for so many women now and in the future. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to know what helps out there. Thank you for having me. It's my been pleasure. A pleasure. Thanks for being with us. If you like what we do here at The Naked Naturopath, then be sure to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Mel and MG Herbs, jump onto mgherbs.com, follow us on Facebook at MG Herbs Australia and Instagram at MG Herbs Official. Please keep in mind that all advice and opinions on The Naked Naturopath are not individualized. To get the right advice for you, be sure to make a booking with Mel or your health professional. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. For those of you on your own health journey, you know that a lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, and you think you're doing well, and then something else pops up. It's like um, always, you're always learning. It's just a, it's not something that just happens overnight and suddenly you're well. If I actually had been so wrong about this really important thing in my life, what else was I wrong about? And it got me down this, uh, this place of questioning all the concepts that I had. And then I came to one question, which was, who am I beyond concept? When I was a little kid, I really always had trouble with food intolerances. I realized that there was a lot to be said for the way you eat. You come to the same place that I came to, and it's a place of complete freedom. Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.